we're going to jump into the Word. We're going to continue in the series uh, of Luke. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. When I was new in campus ministry, uh, it was just taking off at George Mason University circa 2013. And we were bouncing around all the time. And there was this one day where it was just a train wreck of an evening. We didn't get the space that we wanted. Half the band couldn't show up. And I was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. This is so dumb, right? And, and it was great preparation for church planting. <laughs> but, we, but we were there, and, and, and it was just a tough night. And, and we, we ended up having the service. But after we had our, our Sunday night worship service, I met this girl named Sasha. Sasha was a breath of fresh air. She was just so happy to be there. She had never worshipped among her peers. And she was like, she was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And I'm like, that's amazing because it was a train wreck. <laughs> but she just had so much faith and enthusiasm for the things of God. She, she was talking about how she was considering maybe that even God was calling her to minister to the next generation. That as a college student, God was putting out on her heart to reach out to youth. And she had never, she wasn't a part of a church. She had never been a part of a ministry that would take her seriously. And, and so I was just, I was blown away. So that was the only good news I brought home to my family that night. There was this girl named Sasha. The gospel was preached, maybe. But there was a girl named Sasha. And then, and then a few weeks later, I, I hadn't seen Sasha, and, and it, was a, it was a much better service. I was so happy. But then I met this girl named Nikki. Nikki was amazing, had so much faith. She was so ready to, like, get involved. She wanted to serve. Her first time there, she's like, I want to I serve. I want to be a part of this ministry. I want to make this happen. I want to reach my peers. I want to see God do a great thing at George Mason University. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I went home with the great news to Megan about, about Nikki. And then, and then a couple weeks later, Sasha came, and then Nikki came back. And so I'm like, we, we're going to take over the freaking world with Sasha and Nikki. The only problem is they looked so much alike, I never knew who I was talking to. And so I was like really excited because I knew a little bit about Sasha, and I knew a little bit about Nikki, but I didn't know enough about them, and I couldn't parse out. Now, it doesn't help that, that the, the year before, in this little tiny campus ministry of like 30 people, we had four girls named Jessica Smith. I think four. It might have been three. Was it? I don't know. But we had four girls by the same name who I thought looked remarkably similar. Not because I'm white and all black people look the same kind of thing. Not because of that. But because my sisters were changing their hair. And that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. It wasn't fair, Myra. It wasn't fair. So we were going and we were having church and, and like we were doing this thing and I was like so confused because I really wanted to invite Nikki and Sasha into this leadership team that we were building and I knew that they should be in the same team and I knew that we would win the campus if we could just get them in the same room and it turns out they'd been in the same room the whole time because it was the same person. Yes. Nikki and Sasha, they were the same person. It's just the first time she met me, she used her formal name. She's like, my name's Sasha. The next time she met me, she felt comfortable, so she said, my name's Nikki. And so, so I was, I was kind of dodging, like, each week. I'm like, hey, Sasha. Like, and I'm so happy I got it right every time. Because I was just, every time. I, I never got it wrong. Because I was like, sometimes I said Sasha, and sometimes I said Nikki, and I thought I was nailing it every time. But it turns out it was the same person. 
Now, I spent way too much time illustrating this because it, it, illustrates, it illustrates a problem that I think we have with Jesus. That, that we, we, we're, not quite who, who we're, ta- we're not quite sure who we're talking to. We're not quite sure what kind of conversation we're supposed to have with him because we're not sure what his name is and we're not sure what he's done and what his resume is or what's on his heart. We've got an idea. Because Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. We pray to Jesus or in the name of Jesus and, and yet there's God the Father in heaven and we talk about the Holy Spirit. Who is this Jesus? And so I've titled today's message, The Problem with Jesus. The problem with Jesus. And let me say that it's not a problem with Jesus at all. The problem with Jesus is a problem with how we understand who he is. And in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus queuing in on this same problem among his disciples. That Jesus is performing great miracles and acts and raising people from the dead as we follow through this story. And Luke is trying to describe who Jesus is to an audience who wasn't expecting Jesus to come. And they just heard stories about this one they were calling divine, this one who was worshipped, but this one who also died the death of, of a pedophile, of a, of a, of a war criminal, of, of, the, of treason. He died the most horrible death. It was so horrible that not even Roman citizens could be crucified. And so here's Jesus, this person who's being worshipped, but died the most gruesome kind of death. And so Luke's like, hey, let me clarify for you who he is. And in Luke chapter 9, it comes to this kind of climax moment and this tension because Jesus is doing miracles, but people aren't quite sure how to relate to him and quite sure what to call him. And Jesus is like, hey, let's bring this conversation out in the open. Which brings us to our passage, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. If you could stand to your feet because participation is better than? Excellent. Wayne, could you read the passage for us? Actually, it's only three verses. I believe in you. Let's read this together. Wayne will set the pace. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We pray that that revelation will be clearer today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Wayne. You may be seated. So I do encourage you to take notes. Participation being better than observation is true during the sermon as well. So you can say amen. It won't distract me. It'll help me. It'll know that you're keeping up with me. But I, I ask that you take notes, either on your phone or on, you know, have something to write on, something to write with. Because this is what I know about how God works. He loves to talk to you, and he wants to talk to you. And he's going to speak to you during this sermon about things that I don't talk about from the front because you're just in the right place. Because we set aside a little bit of time to be with him, he's he's going to do his part, and he's going to show up, and he's going to speak to your heart. And I know sometimes uh, early on in ministry it bothered me so much because I'd get up and I'd preach my heart out, and I'd ask Megan, like, hey, you know, like, basically, how great did I do? I would ask, did you hear anything that, was, that ministered to you? And she'd, she'd tell me what ministered to her. And I'm like, that had nothing to do with, that's not even what I was talking about. Like, what, what are you, like, and it turns out God wants to talk to you more than I want to talk to you. So just, just being ready for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and inspire your heart and convict you and challenge you. Because uh, that's what he loves to do. 
what we're going to do today is I want to talk about the two questions Jesus asked. And then I want to help find some certainty in that question for ourselves this morning. For as much as we can do in 30 minutes. He asked the question, who do they say that I am? And he asked the question, who do you say that I am? The first question, who do they say that I am, was a really important question because Jesus was doing these miracles among these people. And, and there were rumors swirling. There's one point where people thought that Jesus was possessed by a demon, and that's how he was doing these uh, amazing works, that somehow it was magic or trickery. And so they were concerned that Jesus had a demon. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am, they at least had the courtesy not to mention Beelzebub. They, they were like, they said, you know, we think that you might be Elijah. One of the most powerful, most significant prophets in all of Jerusalem's history. In all, their, in all the history of the Hebrew people, Elijah stood, uh, stood above the rest. And, and there was an expectation that Elijah was going to come back, maybe as the Messiah, and redeem the people of Israel from the oppression of, of everything that would, would come against the people. And so they're like, Elijah, that seems reasonable to us. You're doing amazing things. You're teaching with authority. You're, you're, you're behaving differently than, than we would expect maybe a rabbi to behave. You seem to be challenging certain constructs. There's something going on with your ministry. You must be Elijah. Or others say maybe, maybe some of the other prophets. Maybe via some, some sort of reincarnation or some sort of soul transfer. You're representing prophets of old who have come up. And maybe you're here and maybe you're not really here. That's what we think might be happening. And Jesus is like, okay, thank you for, thank you for answering that question. Now, I believe he asked the, the question for two reasons. One, I think it's important to understand what the culture is saying about who Jesus is in general. Who Jesus is is, is going to be something that's understood differently in different pockets of people. If, if you're with certain, certain groups of people, they'll, they'll understand him one way and, and relate to him a certain way. And, and even if you have the same understanding of who he is, you'll relate to him differently because culture plays a significant role in our worship and in our relationships. More importantly, I think that Jesus is getting after what's the flavor in the water. And we need to understand the flavor in the water. We need to understand what, what's in the water that would impact maybe the way that I would know him. I think Jesus was asking them this question to bring to the surface the prominent ideas so they could understand the ideas that would be influencing how they might see him. We're, we're so deeply impacted by other people's opinions. We are very deeply impacted by the, by the news cycles and by, especially in this age of, of um, what do they call it, when, when everything's shaped around your viewing history and what are, what are, algorithms. With all the algorithms built to get you the news that they think that you want, it's so easily to be further influenced by the things that we're reading and hearing and by the people who we're among. And Jesus is like, I just want you to know what's influencing you. So the influences to you right now, disciples, is that I would be Elijah. What are the implications that I'm Elijah? The, the, the thought might be that I'm a prophet. What's the thought that if I'm a prophet? Well, every other prophet who lived, including John the Baptist, who was just recently beheaded, basically lived a miserable life and then died. Many of them were killed. Many of them were were, were pushed out of society and left alone. And so, so there, there was more than likely some kind of fear in the background of the disciples' hearts that the same thing was going to happen to Jesus. The more important question now is, who do you say that I am? And Peter has this moment. 
of clarity that doesn't exist in the rest of the rest of this book. And he says, you're the Christ of God. Now, this statement is a deeply cultural statement. It's a deeply Jewish statement. Now, the Jewish people had been waiting for the Christ of God to appear ever since King David had been on the throne, you know, more than eight generations before. So this is like, this is like anticipation on top of anticipation on top of anticipation that the Christ would come. And in a world where everybody was looking at Jesus and trying to figure him out, the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that the man in front of them was the Christ. He was more than just somebody who was doing miracles. He was, he was sent by God to deliver, to rescue the Jewish people from the, oppress, the oppression that had them, that had them tra- trapped, that had them suffocating. And so here they are, Jesus, the disciples, and Peter having this amazing moment. We learn in, in, other, in other accounts of this and in the other Gospels that, that Jesus tells Peter, hey, well done. This didn't come to you from man, but this came to you from the Holy Spirit. God himself revealed this to you, which gets to be started. It starts to be confusing again, right? Because Jesus is standing in front of Peter, and Peter's like, you're the Christ. And he's like, yeah, God told you that. So everybody's like, wait, but what does that mean about who you are? We're going to settle one of those questions in just a moment. But here we are where God's revealing to Peter that this thing is. But, but, and, and we know that God did this because Peter had the same information to work with and that everybody, had, that everybody else was working with. And I believe that, that God is inviting us to work with the same information that everybody else is working with, to take it seriously, to press in and to learn and to study and, and to ask and to draw close, but then also to ask for a revelation that can only come from God. What we try to do is we try and reason our way to belief. Or we try and reason our way to understanding because we, we understand that we're reasonable people. So we try and logic our way to, to faith. But the reality is by just logicking and just re, uh, like reasoning our way to faith, we, we, we miss out on the fact that God has also made us spiritual people. It's a part of our design. And it's a part of our design that I think the church misses out on the most, ironically enough. It's a, part of our, it's a part of our design that we're spiritual people that we've abdicated to, like, new age things in yoga. We've ad- you're, you're tracking? Like, we've abdicated the spiritual part of our lives to more spiritual people, and nobody should be more spiritual than a Christian. Are you, are you trying? Like, we're like, yeah, okay, so what, like, yoga has meditation, and, and, and we've got, like, read the Bible. Read the words. Read them. Read them good. In the Greek. Right? And the Hebrew. That's for the super Christians. Not understanding that as we read the Bible, it's also a spiritual act. And as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, not just the Greek and the Hebrew. Now, I'm not poo-pooing the Greek and the Hebrew. It's great to learn. It's helpful to study so that you don't get drawn off in, like, really weird directions. But sometimes you'll draw off in really weird directions. But the reality is we're spiritual people, and nobody should be more spiritual than us. So everybody's natural around Peter looking and going, well, based on what we know and based on what we have, you must be one of the prophets who's come before because that's all I've got to work with. And then the Holy Spirit's like, let me insert myself in here. Hey, Peter, that's the Messiah. Peter's like, you're the Christ. Yeah. 
You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yeah, well done. You nailed it, Peter. And then Peter proceeds, like, <laughs> you read, Peter proceeds to go, I know a lot. Right? And Jesus is like, now, be, like, just so you know, part of being the Messiah means I'm going to die. And Peter's like, nope. <laughs> Throwing the flag. The Holy Spirit spoke to me a couple minutes ago. I feel pretty confident in this moment, too, that you're wrong. And Jesus is like, no, that's not, that's not how this is going to go. All right, so, so we've, got, we've got who do you say, who do they say that I am? And then we've got who do you say that I am? And we've got Peter answering the question so well and so beautifully. Now, Jesus used deeply cultural language to describe who he is. And that's helpful to understand because sometimes what we do is we, we, we go and we try and talk to people who Jesus, who, who, about who Jesus is without understanding what they know about him or what the culture knows about him or what language they would use to describe him as. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we should readily describe Jesus as a sky daddy. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should readily describe. It's a thing in the culture. It's in the water. Guys, it's, it's in the water. It's, it's in the water. We, I'm not saying that Jesus should readily be described as whatever we kind of feel like he should be, but we need to understand what people are thinking of when they think of God so that when we talk to them about God, we at least know what we're stepping into. And Jesus models this beautiful process of asking questions and listening and then describing, well, and then they get the revelation and then he affirms what they know and he corrects what they don't know. And we need to be better listeners than we are talkers or at least listeners first before we're talkers so that we know what we're speaking to as we speak to a world that's desperate to know Jesus. I did some reading this week. And uh, or actually over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I've, I've learned that, that people are actually quite interested in knowing about Jesus. They're pretty interested. There's, there's intrigue around it. But part of their intrigue is wanting to work out their answers around who he is, not just be told who he is. And so we need to follow in the example of Jesus and be ready to go ask questions and learn what people are knowing about Jesus and be willing to take, take time and rest in the answers without feeling the need to correct every step of the journey. Now, I'm not saying we affirm everything. I'm not saying what everybody says about Jesus is always right. What's being said about Jesus in the church is very is, is oftentimes not right. Did you know that over, the over 45%, and you might fall into this camp, so I'm not poo-pooing you. I'm just saying the church, we've done a bad job as the church of describing who Jesus is. Don't realize that Jesus existed as the word of God before he became a baby. Over 40%. So let me say this differently. So, so maybe, this is, maybe this is brand new for you. And, and if it is, I'm so excited to be sharing this. But basically, Jesus has existed from before the beginning of time. He was present at the beginning of creation. We learn that in John chapter 1, verse 1. It's echoed again. He says, in the beginning was the word, was, was the logos, the idea. And the idea was God, and the idea was with God. And then it says that Jesus is the word. He is the logos. He is the idea from which everything has come, by which everything is sustained, and to which everything is going. That was really complicated language. Are you tracking? Okay, great. So, so Jesus was all the way there. So when he became a baby, it wasn't like the beginning of Jesus' life. The, the one who became a baby is the one who spoke light into existence. At the very beginning, the one who became a baby is the one who created time by speaking light into existence and, and, and thereby forcing the need for time. It's pretty cool, right? 
And so Jesus doesn't just exist at Christmas. Jesus has existed from eternity past. He created time, and then he's stepping into his time and now living among his creation. He's trying to help them see and know who he is so that they can know and see who God is in his fullness inside of time and outside of time. Pretty cool. Right? This is the this is the I geek out on. It gets me really, really excited. But most of us don't, most of us don't know that. Most of us are falling into the they camp, like we we're, we estimate, like he's a good teacher. He was he was a, a prophet. He was uh, he was an inspiring leader. He was he was a revolutionary. Not a very successful one. It stayed a very small movement for a little bit of time. He entrusted, he entrusted the revolution to a bunch of people that upon his death hid. They ran away from them. They ran away from him. One of them buck naked. Right, like that's who he entrusted the church to. That's who, hey, Pastor John. Was that you that I heard about at the crucifixion six months ago? But, we, but we, we're not quite sure who he is, and we fall into that same camp of person that, that doesn't quite understand who it is that we're talking to. But I'm grateful that Scripture reveals some names for us. It gives us insight into who it is that we're talking to. Now, for the disciples in this moment, they'd seen the ministry of Jesus. They had heard probably the stories of the angels appearing to Mary and probably the angels appearing to the shepherds. And so they kind of probably heard this at the campfire around the dinner table. Jesus is like, you know, they're like excited about something. He's like, let me tell you about the time I sent some angels to announce my birth to, to, to some shepherds. And they're like, that's a weird decision, Jesus. Why would you do that? And he's like, because I want you to know that I care as much about the marginalized as I do the wealthy. And Jesus is like, let me tell you about the time Gabriel showed up to my mom, told her that was crazy. Joe, my dad tried to divorce her. So we had to send an angel to him to tell him to stay in the game and not quit. My dad didn't, he didn't quit. He stayed in the game. Because my dad stayed in the game, I was in Bethlehem at just the right time to fulfill prophecies that were made about the birth of the Messiah thousands of years before. He, like, who can top Jesus like at a campfire story, right? He's like, he's like, oh, you know, one time I spoke and everything happened. Like everything was created. Right? It's like, okay. But what we have, what we have in Scripture is, is, is a picture of who he is, and it's a picture that's unveiled all the way throughout Scripture. And so I want to read this. This is a funny thing that, that exists kind of on, on the Internet. It's real. I, it's true. It's not, like, not that kind of weird thing that exists on the Internet. It's interesting to me because when I tried to, to, to cite this, because I really want to give credit to the person who did this, uh, everybody's just... Everybody's, it's like a circle. It's like everybody's crediting everybody else, and I can't find the bottom of this thing. And so, like, every website's talking about it, but nobody really knows quite where it came from. And so, uh, I want to read this to you. It's how Jesus is revealed through all of Scripture. So, as we consider this question, who is, who is Jesus? What I want to submit to you this morning is that uh, Jesus, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the... The, the person of God. He's one of, he, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all called God because they're all worshiped in Scripture. They're all 
they're all honored in Scripture. And Jesus, Jesus didn't turn away worship. So either he's a really bad teacher or he's God. Jesus said that he was going to die and rise from the dead. And he did it to prove that he had the authority that he said he had. And so, so what I want to do is I want to help us see that like the, the story of Jesus doesn't begin with the birth in the manger. The story of Genesis begins, uh, the story of Jesus begins actually before Genesis, but we're going to see it in Genesis. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time because <coughs> I've got it. And I'm, I want to read, and I'll probably get more excited as we go. Where's Abigail? Abigail, if you go play the keys, we're going to get wild. This is going to be fun. Feel free to amen. We should do this now. Yeah, worship team. It's almost 10. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get the, play something like, yeah, in the background. Play something, yeah, in the background. It doesn't have to be an organ sound, but it'll be an organ sound in my heart. <laughs> All right, Jesus in every book of the Bible. You know, this makes for a really bad audio recording. I'll just acknowledge that. If We just started a podcast, so we're going to put our sermons on. But then what we're also going to do is we're going to have like a, I haven't decided what to call it. It'll be either, oops, I forgot to tell you, or it'll be, uh, or it'll be hey, I've got one more point or I'm closing, right? And it, it'll be an opportunity. And what, what we'll want you to do is submit any questions any Sunday that you have about the sermon and what we're going to do is we're going to talk to whoever preached about the message and unpack it a little bit and get into what was the, like, what is the journey that the person preaching went on in studying the passage, like in their soul, but also in their study. And then we can unpack any questions that you have. So if you don't ask questions, it's not going to be good. If you do ask questions, it'll be amazing. So I welcome your help on that. So whatever you guys want to play, Jesus in every book of the Bible. In Genesis, the creator of all things. And Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud and the pillar of, fly, uh, of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, oh, there we go. Come, amens. Come on now. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman, redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the seed of David. In First Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of everything broken. In Esther, he's our Mordecai, our advocate, our leader, our inspirer. In Job, he's our ever-present, ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherds. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the meaning for life. In the Song of Solomon, he's the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, in Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace and the ancient of days. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our judge and savior. You didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? In Jonah, he's the risen prophet. In Micah, he's the ruler of the world. From Bethlehem and in Nahum, he is our stronghold. In Habakkuk, he is our watchman who never falls asleep. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Haggai, he's, he is the restorer. In Zechariah, he's the branch of David, the one who's pierced for us. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. And that's who he is in the Old Testament. 
So when Peter said, you're the Christ, he's saying all that, that's your resume. I'm starting to trust you. I'm starting to believe you. You got some time underneath you. You got some experience. I'm beginning to believe in you. And this is what we learn in the New Testament. And this is the benefit that we have, that Peter didn't have, that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to illumine for us in this Advent season. In Matthew, he's the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Mark, he is the servant, the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the baby born in a manger, the Son of Man, the light of the world, the Christ, and the Son of the living God. In John, he is the Son of God, the living word, the way, the truth, and the light. In John, he is the Son of God, the living word, the way, the truth, and life. I said that twice. It's worth it. In Acts, he's the savior of the world, the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our comfort. In Galatians, he is our liberty and our freedom. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness and the glue that holds our world together. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he is our mediator. In Philemon, he's our benefactor. In Titus, he's the blessed hope. In Hebrews, our perfection. In James, he's the power behind our, fra- our faith. In first, first and second Peter, he's the chief shepherd and the chief cornerstone. In first, second, and third John, he is the truth and our everlasting life. In Jude, he's the foundation of our faith and our security. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the keeper of creation, the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. And he is preparing. He always has, always was, and always will be. Now we're getting, you ready? Yeah, you know what this is. Are you guys ready to you, Can I go further? Are you as excited about this as I am? We're going to have some real church. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you've never amen before, this is your morning. You can just amen. Just do it under your breath. It'll be all right. I won't throw any curveballs, no tricks. It's all all worth celebrating. Right? Sometimes a pastor will trick you and say amen to something bad. That's not what we're doing. He always was, he always is, and always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, but never undone. He was bruised and bought for our healing. He was peace. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The grave couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. Other religions can't replace him. The world can't explain him away. He is the light, the love, the longevity and Lord. Longevity and Lord. He is goodness and kindness, gentleness and God. He, his ways are right. His words are eternal. His will is unchanging. His mind is on us. He is my redeemer. He is our savior. He is my savior. He is my God. Is he your God? He's my word. Is he your word? He's my, he's the lover of my soul. Is he a lover of your soul? His ways are always right. His words are eternal. His will is unchanging. His mind is on us. He is my redeemer. Is he your redeemer? He is my savior. Is he your savior? He is my guide. Is he your guide? He is my peace. Is he your peace? He's my joy. Is he your joy? He is my comfort. Is he your comfort? He's my Lord. Lord. Is he your Lord? And he rules my life. rules my life.
Will you let him rule your life? That's the question that's ever before us. What's exciting is I can't even take credit for any of this. Guys, can you answer the question? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I believe the Spirit of God is asking that question. Not just to us, but across our city. That's what Advent, that's what Advent should do. It kind of draws out this discomfort. We're singing all these songs about this person that we don't quite know. And, And we're supposed to be so happy in a time where so many people are so sad and hearts are so heavy. Because this moment isn't the destination. This moment points to the destination. When we'll see him face to face, the veil will be removed and we get to enjoy the fullness of his loving kindness without any kind of hindrance.